What's up, guys? We are back. We are back at it. College basketball is back in session as of this past Tuesday, and I'm sure you are just excited as I am. I'm very excited to be back with you guys today. I hadn't done a podcast episode since I believe it was early August. I only did one off-season episode, and so this is really my first podcast back, I feel like, because I only did one and it wasn't a regular basis. So I'm super excited to be back today. You can expect these podcasts to be coming out once every week on Sundays. I like to do them on Sundays mainly because I just get to kind of give an overview of what happened in the past week of college basketball. So I really enjoy that. Um, Before I get into the actual content today, as usual, whether you guys are listening to me on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or maybe even Google Podcasts, I really appreciate if you would subscribe to me and also give a rating and review if you enjoy my podcast or, you know, have some feedback for me. I would love to love to see that and see whatever comments you have. Subscribing and leaving a rating review just helps get my podcast out there, you know, gives popularity to it so more people can reach it easier. So I'd really appreciate that. As well as if you're on Instagram, you can follow me at collegehoops.mania on there. I post very frequently throughout the week. The main thing I do on there is post scores of games as well as my analysis and takeaways from the game. So if you're interested in that, you can follow me on Instagram at collegehoops.mania. And I'll also post when I'm um, releasing new podcast episodes. So you can look out for that as well. Now into the actual content. I'm going to first start off talking about Texas and Gonzaga, which just played Saturday night yesterday at 10.30. It was in Spokane. Gonzaga won by a score of 86-74. to As many of you probably saw, the main takeaway and the main, um, the main event was Drew Timmy in this game. The preseason player of the year finished with 37 points, 7 rebounds, 3 assists. He shot 15 of 19 from the field. I mean, he even showed a glimpse of catching it from the mid-range, facing up and knocking down a jumper. He did shoot a three in the game, which was interesting. He missed it, but, you know, it looks like his shot's gotten a little better over the summer. I know he's worked on that hard. It was obvious, though, what the game plan of Gonzaga was going into this game. From the very beginning, they were putting Timmy in ball screens, and they were trying to feed him in the post. And if not that, if uh, if Gonzaga was able to get out and run a little bit, Timmy was doing a good job of rim running and really putting himself, making himself available deep in the paint. He was getting two feet in the paint off the catch all night. And if Drew Timmy's catching it with two feet in the paint, I mean, that ball is going up and he's going to score it nearly every single time. And Texas really couldn't keep him out of there. They, I never really saw them trying to front him much, which would have been maybe an interesting look to just kind of deny and then have the weak side help over to not uh, let Gonzaga enter it so easily to Drew Timmy, but they didn't really show a lot of that. Timmy got confident from the get-go, and he really never looked back. He had 20 at halftime. He had 17 in the second half, so, I mean, he played a really complete game. He was just, I mean, he lived up to the hype. It was National Preseason Player of the Year, and he played every bit every bit of that on Saturday night. A lot of the attention going into Gonzaga this year, because, like, obviously Drew Timmy's a lot of it, but they also brought in what a lot of people think to be is the number one freshman in the country, Chet Holmgren. Seven-foot unicorn, very thin frame, but very versatile, can do a lot with the ball, really good shot blocker. And it was interesting to me that he really was non-existent, especially within the offense. Like, 
when you're watching the game and you're hearing about they have the number one freshman in the country, like you didn't even notice him a lot of the time. And like I said, mainly on the offensive end, he did grab some rebounds. He had five rebounds on the night. He had two blocks. I mean, he did. He impacted the game some. He played 23 minutes, so not necessarily a ton of minutes. But I, I'm not sure if it's his thin frame that is making it a little difficult because Texas was kind of like knocking knocking him around, kind of keeping him off balance. You'd see sometimes Holmgren was would go to would look like he's about to go set a screen on the perimeter, and whoever was guarding him would just kind of you know knock him off, like not let him cut where he wants to, just stand in front of him and push him around. So. I'm not sure if uh, it was just, you know, a little bit of nerves because it was the first big game for Holmgren, and, you know, that's understandable. He did have a good first game against Dixie State. He really filled it up everywhere. He's very capable. I'm just not sure if uh, if he needs to put on some muscle before he can really play at this level. But it is noteworthy that Gonzaga brought in three five-star freshmen, that being Chet Holmgren, and then two guards, Nolan Hickman and Hunter Salas. Those guys combined for nine points. Nine points, Gonzaga dominated the game, and their three five-star freshmen really weren't a factor, which is which is really saying something. It really shows how deep this Gonzaga team is and how many weapons they have that can beat you. Because obviously Timmy was the main thing, but Rashir Bolton, transfer from Iowa State, was, was really effective as well. He had 16 points, hit four threes. I mean, you can never have enough shooters. Bolton, I wouldn't call him just a shooter, but he's going to help them out there, that's for sure. And Andrew Nemhard didn't start the year last year for Gonzaga, but then ended up kind of taking Anton Watson, Anton Watson's place in the starting lineup. And now with Kispert, Suggs, Ayayi, those guys gone, it allows for Nemhard to have a lot bigger of a role. And he's going to be running the point guard of a lot of time. And even though he only scored nine points last night, he was really impressive in my opinion. Uh, They ran a lot of Nemhard-Timmy ball screens, and Nemhard was making some pretty difficult entry feeds to to Timmy. And Timmy's so sure-handed, if you put it in his area, he's going to grab it and he's going to go up and score. So Nemhard's ability to do that was really impressive. He had eight assists. He's He's going to be a really, really good player. Like He didn't run point last year. But you got to remember, he came from Florida, and he ran point guard as a freshman at Florida, and it was a good Florida team. And so Andrew Nemhard does have experience playing point guard. He'll be fine, and not just fine. He'll be really good running point guard. I'm excited to see what kind of numbers he can put up this year. The performance performance against Texas was really impressive, in my opinion. And as impressive as Gonzaga looked offensively Saturday night, they looked really, really good on the defensive end as well. And especially in the first half, I mean, Gonzaga just took away driving lanes, dribble penetration from Texas from the get-go. And this is a Texas team that is very versatile and has a lot of good guards. Andrew Jones, Marcus Carr from Minnesota, Courtney Ramey, Devin Askew, Jace Febris. Um, I mean, Timmy Allen isn't a guard, but he can put it on the floor. Uh, it's just a very versatile, versatile team that has a lot of guys that you know, can slash to the rim pretty well. And Gonzaga just took that away from them really from the start. And what they did was, like, Texas was forced into late shot clock situations, and they were not getting good looks. They were putting up late shot clock prayers. And that's, I mean, those are such low percentage shots. You can't really keep up. And Gonzaga did a good enough job early in the game to do that, and it built them that 20-point halftime lead. 
And even though Texas did fight back, I mean, you just you can't come back from 20 points down against the number one team, and especially against the number one team on the road. On the other hand, though, looking more uh, at the Texas side of things, I'm not going to say I'm worried. Like, Actually, I'm not really worried at all with Texas. They have so many new faces. They have a new head coach. It's going to take time to mesh these guys together. I did have Texas as my number two preseason team in the country. I'll admit they are not that right now, but if they're number two in the country when it's all said and done, I won't be surprised. If anybody can mesh a, a group of guys like this together, it's Chris Beard. I mean, he's such a good coach. He gets the most out of his players, really good defensive mind. This Texas team's going to defend at a high level. There's no doubt about that. I think identifying roles is a big thing. You see that early in the year where teams are kind of, you know, you can tell people are just a little unclear what their role is, and it can either lead to passing up open shots, being a little too unselfish, or, you know, on the opposite spectrum, taking shots that you're really, you really shouldn't be taking. And for Texas, it was, uh, you know, passing up too many open shots, passing up too many shots that need to go up that, you know, they would have, these transfers would have taken last year because they knew they were a leader of the team. But now you put all these guys together and all of a sudden, you know, you need chemistry. Chemistry is such a big thing and it's going to be there, but they're still trying to define roles right now. And that, and that's a big thing. I will give credit to Texas. They did make a little run in the second half, which that's just encouraging to see. You know, they showed fight, and that's all you can ask for them after going down 20 in the first half. They started attacking earlier in the shot clock, which was nice. Uh, guys started, you know, being a little bit more aggressive and taking some shots that they were passing up in the first half, I would say. So that was encouraging to see from the Longhorns. The next blockbuster game I want to talk about it was uh, – Villanova at UCLA on Friday night. This was a tip time of 11.30, extremely late. UCLA held on to win at home, 86-77 to in overtime. This was an incredible game. UCLA was uh, actually down 60-50 to with nine and a half left in the game. Tiger Campbell hits back-to-back threes, gets UCLA back in it, and then they eventually tied it up with under a minute, got it to overtime, and then pulled away in the overtime. But like I said, it was a really, really high-level game from both sides. I mean, it was just incredible shot-making. It, it, it just looked like pros, you know, pros playing each other with the way they were going one-on-one and making shots and contested shots, uh, just, you know, driving it, creating for themselves. It, it was really fun to watch. Felt It had a Final Four championship-type feel to it. For UCLA, Jaime Jaquez was uh, the main guy in the first half. Hawkes ended up finishing with 21 points and three, re- or excuse me, 13 rebounds on the game. Six of those being offensive. And then in the second half, Johnny Juzang really took over, especially early. He had he had his first seven field goals in the second half, I believe. He finished with 25 points and eight rebounds. He didn't shoot super efficient in the game, but that was a large part because he was so cold in the first half. And then Tiger Campbell really took over, I would say, like the end of the second half, and in overtime, he was he was crucial. So it, three different guys, you know, taking over at different moments in the game. Even Jules Bernard had 16 in the game, nine, nine rebounds. Uh, so Gonzaga, had, or excuse me, UCLA has a lot of guys that can beat you. UCLA's game plan going into this game was uh, just spread Villanova out, 
pick the matchup they want in attack. There's really not – UCLA's offense really was not complicated at all. It wasn't a lot of actions. It was a lot of one-on-one. But you got to give them credit. They, uh, they really attacked Eric Dixon. Their goal was to put him in ball screens, get the switch, and get him switched out into one of their guards and then just attack him one-on-one, space out, give the guard you know room, room to drive, and just let him go. And that's what they did. Juzang had success with it. Hawk has had success with it. Campbell had success with it. I mean, UCLA did a really good job. And that's what you when you have guys like that that can create for themselves, you don't necessarily need some, you know, masterful offensive scheme. You just need to pick matchups and to give them room to operate. And that's that's exactly what they did. It's also noteworthy that UCLA didn't have starting big man Cody Riley in this game either. So even more impressive that they didn't have one of their starters and was still able to be a top-five team. I think the big thing here, the main takeaway is, I guess, the, for the people who thought UCLA might be overrated because of, you know, one tournament run last year, they were close to, to losing that play-in game against Michigan State, and then they go to make a Final Four run. I guess it's pretty clear that this UCLA team is for real. It wasn't just one you know, one run in the tournament. UCLA is clearly a really good basketball team. So they were able to, you know, prove some of their doubters wrong, which I guess had to feel good for UCLA. For Villanova, there's there's really no shame in this loss at all. I mean, you went at the number two team in the country. You led for a good portion of this game. You led by 10 at one point in the second half. You just couldn't quite hold on. Uh, they played a great game. I mean, it, they, they, their shot making was just as impressive as UCLA's was for a large part of this game. Villanova had all five starters and double figures. They, they took care of the ball and they played vintage Villanova offense, you know, driving and kicking and creating, creating that way to get open looks inside out. And that, that's what they're going to do. Jay Wright has a really good team, a lot of shooters on the outside. I mean, they lost Jeremiah Robinson Earl from a year ago, which does hurt, but I think Justin Moore's much improved. Brandon Slater's much improved. Gillespie, you know, having him back, and he's like a coach on the floor. He's such a good floor general, such a good leader. So Villanova is really good. This loss, you know, really, if anything, should make people think a little more highly of them because they played such a good game in a hostile environment. Moving on to the uh, Champions Classic. The Champions Classic always takes place on opening night, and it's always a big event with Kansas, Michigan State, Duke, and Kentucky. The first game in this doubleheader was Kansas and Michigan State. Um, Michigan State wasn't ranked this year. They were number 26 in the polls, the first team out, and Kansas was ranked number three preseason this year. So Kansas was a pretty decent favorite going into this one, and they did win by a score of 87-74. to 74. It's pretty clear that Ochai Abaji he just feels like that guy, you know, that leader, the guy that that Kansas needs to take over games. He finished with 29 points. Uh, he he really impressed in the exhibition for Kansas as well. He, I feel like with with Abaji, a lot of times he'll he'll settle he'll settle for jump shots, and he has such a good shot. It's I mean it's understandable. You want him taking a lot of jump shots. He and a lot of threes. He's a really good shooter. But he, he might be best when he's driving to the rim because he can really get there, especially with his with his shooting ability. He can add a shot fake and a drive because he keeps defenses honest. I mean, if you're guarding a body, you got to stay pretty close to him. You can't help too far off. He can get his shot off pretty easily and, and shoot it from deep. 
Last year, Kansas lacked point guard play. Marcus Garrett was playing point guard for the majority of the year. They'd pulled Dewan Harris off the bench, but he necessarily wasn't quite ready for that role a year ago. And so point guard play was an issue for Kansas last year. It kind of limited them as to how good they could be. This year, uh, that's not quite the issue. They brought in Remy Martin from Arizona State. Bobby Pettiford, a freshman, good ball handler, can really drive it. And Joseph Yesifu, a good ball handler from Drake. And Dewan Harris is just, he, he looks much, much better. I mean, he's a good ball handler, um, a really good defender. And he, he just looks a little more confident attacking this year, a little more comfortable driving to the lane and kicking out, uh, making plays for other people. Last year, I would say he's more just a ball handler and defender. Couldn't really do anything with his dribble, but he could just handle it. He's, he's much improved. Kansas has, Kansas has point guard play this year. I mean, Remy Martin, uh, he was always a high-volume shooter at Arizona State. For Kansas to be at, at their best this year, like obviously Remy's going to be scoring a lot of points. He's going to be taking his fair, sh- fair share of shots, but they're going to need him to make plays for others because he's so dynamic with the ball. He, he brings so much attention to himself. If he can kind of transition his game into being, you know, kind of a pass-first playmaker kind of guy for Kansas, it's going to enhance Kansas is Kansas overall game a lot because Kansas has shooters on the outside I mean Christian Brown can really shoot it his percentages necessarily weren't great last year but he's a much better shooter than he showed I mean Brown should be around a 40 percent three-point shooter he's he's that good of a shooter Abaji is obviously a really good shooter Jalen Coleman lands transfer him to Paul I don't know how many minutes he's going to get but if he's going to play it's because he can shoot I mean I mean he has a really good stroke yes if can shoot it um, even Zach Clements, Zach Clements, the freshman, showed some good minutes. You know, versatile, versatile four-man that can stretch the floor. He had a three in the game, had two steals as well. I mean, he he showed some promise. So Kansas, Kansas has Kansas has shooting, and they have point guard play. They obviously have the post with David McCormick. Kansas has all the weapons to be really good this year. I I think they didn't play near their best game against Michigan State, which is encouraging considering they still won by 13. They were they were really good on the defensive side of the ball. They the the main reason that they caused so much separation is because they just turned Michigan State over so much. I mean, they Michigan State turned it over 16 times. Kansas had eight steals, four blocks on the game. They played a good defensive game, and they only turned it over nine times. So they so they kept so they took care of the ball well at the same time. Looking at Michigan State though. A.J. Hogard was definitely the bright spot of the game. Hogard finished with 17 points, four assists. Hogard actually dropped 20 pounds from a year ago. He uh, and he and he turned it. He turned it into muscle. He has a lot less body fat than he had a year ago. Much better shape. Hogard just attacked hard. And last year he was kind of a guy who strictly could make plays for others. He really couldn't score it much at all. And he also and he just didn't look. He didn't look quite comfortable yet probably not quite ready this year he looks a lot more confident in himself he has he has the ability to score it this year like he he can finish around the rim he's not a great shooter yet but but he looks more confident driving the ball and finishing through contact um there's much improved play from Marcus Bingham and Julius Marble Michigan State's gonna have some pretty quality post play there Bingham's gotten stronger he uh I think with his length and now the fact that he is stronger and you know has is not going to get knocked off balance as easily. He he should be a really really good defensive post. And Julius Marble is just I mean he's very very strong. He showed some good post moves with his back to the basket that I was impressed with 
against Kansas. He actually had 13 points and seven boards. He had a really nice stat line. Freshman Max Christie really didn't play well. He shot three for 10 from the field that game. But I expect Christie to be their leading scorer. I mean, he is a really gifted scorer, has a really pretty shot, good one dribble pull up. He, he has some wiggle in his dribble to create for himself. Yeah, I'm, I'm impressed with Christie. Like, he, he's ready. He's ready for the college game. He's ready to, to be a scorer as a natural scorer, and he's going to score a lot of points for this Michigan State team. And then looking at the other game in the Champions, Champions Classic, probably the, not probably, the better game of the two. It was, it was very exciting. It had more hype around it in general. Was Duke and Kentucky, and Duke ended up winning this one 79-71. to And it was the story of the freshman for Duke in this one. Paulo Bancaro and Trevor Keels really, really impressed. Bancaro had a lot of attention coming in. I mean, looking at next year's NBA draft, the conversation is between Bancaro and Holmgren. Uh, pretty consensusly there, and Bancaro is just he—he's an animal with with his size. I mean, he's six ten. He's very strong. Defensively, he can guard one through five, and and on the offensive end, I mean, if Duke wants, they can shift him down to the five, which you actually saw later in the week when they had Mark Williams out of the game. Bancaro is playing the five at times. But Bancaro finished with 22 points, seven rebounds, two steals. He he has terrific body control. He really really good mid range game. He showed some some flashes of catching it at the elbow and just taking Kentucky to work with his pivots. I mean he had a, he has a really good pivot series, and he uses it to keep defenders off balance and and he can rise into that shot or rip through and go to the rim. So he has the complete package. He has a really high ceiling. The, there's a chance Paulo Bancaro is the national player of the year. If it's not Drew Timmy, I'm going to bet on this guy. I'm betting on Paulo Bancaro. This dude is for real. And then the other freshman, Trevor Keels, um, he was a five-star as well. Didn't necessarily have as much attention, a large part probably because Bancaro is on this team, so he's he's getting a lot of it. But Bancaro, in 34 minutes of action, had 25 points, a team high, three assists, three steals. Shot 10 for 18 from the field. He, he really came up big in the second half as well. Trevor Keels is going to rebound it at a really high level for being a guard. I mean, he kind of has a he has a linebacker build to him a little bit. He's a really good playmaker and he's a solid shooter from the outside. Keels and ball screens is going to be really good. He he just has a he has a good understanding of pace and he he can you know come come off of it, hit the mid range shot. If the defense goes under, he can rise into a three, but he also has the vision to, you know, hit hit a diving Mark Williams or a diving Bancaro going to the hole. So he kind of has the whole package. And Wendell Moore, now a junior at Duke, and he really hadn't taken the steps forward, hadn't lived up to expectations quite yet, but he looks a lot more confident this year. He actually ended up having a triple-double later in the week against Army. But he's not turning down shots that he necessarily would have in past years, and he's just much more aggressive with the ball in his hands in general. He's looking to score a lot more, and and he should. I mean, he's the leader on this team. He knows it, and and he's acting like it earlier this year. Early this year, so I was very encouraged by the week Wendell Moore had with Duke. Uh, if there's an issue with them, I would say it's with their depth. They play about four guys off the bench with A.J. Griffin, Jalen Blakes, Theo John, Joey Baker. Um, A.J. Griffin was actually, 
another five-star freshman. He was looked at as to be the next best freshman after Bancaro, not necessarily Keels. But then he got hurt before the season, missed some preseason work, and so he was a little bit late coming back. Still, Still seems like they're trying to ease him into things. But so they haven't really seen too much production from AJ Griffin yet, which is you know encouraging that he really wasn't a part of the of the production on Tuesday night against Kentucky, and they still won because AJ Griffin could wind up being a really really big part of this team. And actually, I I expect him to be if I'm being honest with you. The fact that Mark Williams had a pretty rough week and he actually didn't play in the second half at all versus versus Campbell on Saturday. It is kind of is kind of worrisome to me. I was very high on him. Many people were very high on him. Like he had a strong end of last year, and kind of gave Duke a you know a boost last year when they were really struggling. He he was kind of a part of the little bit of a Duke run that we saw at the end of last year. But he he had a rough week, and I'm not sure if uh, if he's just not comfortable yet or with the larger role or what it is because I mean Mark Williams if he's at his best I mean that's a tough that's a tough big man to handle he can he can shoot it he can score on the inside pretty well in a plethora of ways defensively he's very long like last year he showed some promise on the defensive side of the ball blocking shots and also in ball screen coverages so I'm not sure what's going on there I'm not too worried I would say with Mark Williams yet, but it's definitely worth noting that he had a rough week and the fact that he didn't play in the second half at all against Campbell. And it's not because they were killing Campbell. I mean, Campbell hung with Duke for a while. So so I'm not sure exactly what was going on there. Looking at Kentucky now, it the bright spot for Kentucky was obviously Oscar Sheboy this week. I mean, he averaged 20 rebounds through two games. Uh, he's transferred from West Virginia. He just looks a lot thinner, quicker, and, and honestly just has a stronger body. He doesn't necessarily move the most fluidly on the floor, but but he gets the job done. He, I love the way that he just he goes after every every rebound with two hands, and he just he has an attention to detail when the ball goes up to putting himself in position to going after it. I mean, he he plays with high energy, and if he rebounds at this level for Kentucky. Kentucky is going to be, you know, pretty dang good because I like the guards they have. Ty Ty Washington didn't shoot well, the freshman against Duke. He shot three for 14, but don't expect him to play like that all year. Washington's a really, really good playmaker, and, and he can score it as well. He, he might be a little, he might not be quite strong enough or might, you know, lose, lose some strength against some of the matchups that he's dealing with, but he, he makes up for it with the skill he has with the high basketball IQ. He plays poised. I'll give credit. Uh, people were kind of questioning the shot selections that Washington was taking in that due game, but Calipari defended him, basically said that he was wanting Washington to attack and you know maybe, maybe even force a little bit. So I give credit to Calipari for defending his player there because Washington is going to be a really good player. Kentucky fans just need to stick with him. He's going to end up being, you know, he might be their best player when it's all said and done. Georgia transfer Severe Wheeler at Kentucky. Their starting point guard this year, uh, he, he had a really good week. He's averaging 11 assists through two games. He's only 5'9", so he's it's hard for him to finish around the rim, but he is so quick off the bounce. If he can, if he can knock down threes at a decent percent, he'll be an extremely effective player for this team. 
because he just needs to be able to keep defensive defenses honest a little bit because he can blow by you, and that's just going to collapse the defense and enable him to kick out to shooters on the outside, and Kentucky has shooters now, unlike last year. So, so that's a big plus for Kentucky. Kentucky's still a very good basketball team. This loss, I wouldn't, it wouldn't worry me too much if I'm Kentucky. Duke's a very good team. I think Kentucky's probably still they're a top 10 to 15 team, in my opinion. Getting past the Champions Classic, it was very noteworthy at all the power conference teams that ended up losing by games this week. And if you don't know what I mean by by games, I'm just referring to the fact that a, a team paid another team to come to their place and play them. So when I say power conference teams losing by games, I mean, so that's what I mean. Like in this case, Virginia lost to Navy this week. So they lost a bye game because they paid Navy to come to their place and play them, and they ended up losing the game. So here's a list of all the power conference teams that lost bye games this week. First off, Virginia lost to Navy. Cal lost to UC San Diego, and then they ended up losing to UNLV later in the week. Pitt lost to Citadel. Georgia Tech lost to Miami of Ohio. Louisville lost to Furman. Nebraska lost to Western Illinois. Washington lost to Northern Illinois. Arizona State lost to UC Riverside. By the way, <laughs> that game was crazy. Arizona State uh, ties it up. Luther Muhammad ties it up with with like a second a second left, and UC Riverside ends up inbounding it, takes a three quarter court shot and just drains it. Nothing but net. UC Riverside wins at the buzzer. It was it was absolutely crazy. Oklahoma State lost to Oakland. And lastly, Georgetown lost to Dartmouth. So it's very noteworthy that all these teams, all these power conference teams that lost by games this week. And that's kind of the way it's went. Even even there's been a lot of teams that have just escaped some close games to some mid-major, low-major schools. It could, it could truly be the year of the mid-major, the way it's looking. There's been a lot of close games. The mid-majors have really showed out thus far. Two ranked Big Ten teams have struggled in the opening week, that being Ohio State and Maryland. Ohio State beat Akron on opening night at the buzzer when they were down one. Zed Key put it in at the buzzer to beat Akron, and then they ended up beating Niagara by 10 later in the week in a game that was tight for a long ways. And then Maryland beat George Washington 71-64, and they beat Vermont 68-57. However, both of those games were also close the whole wire or the whole game Ohio State and Maryland both being ranked like I said looking at Ohio State they lost Dwayne Washington and they lost CJ Walker from a year ago it just appears that they may be relying too much on EJ Liddell I mean Liddell has been putting up gaudy numbers and he's he's really the only reason that they won either of these games to be honest with you especially the Akron game but Ohio State's just asking too much of him it's not a recipe to win with Liddell putting up 29 27 every single night in the first game they only had 11 assists as a team for Ohio State to live up to expectations this year they're going to need somebody like Michi Michi Johnson Malachi Branham Jamari Wheeler to step up they can't keep relying on you know EJ Liddell and even Zed Key's been putting up pretty decent numbers as well they can't just rely on the inside game in their in their big guys to put up all these points. They're going to need guard play. They're going to need guys to step up. And to be fair, these guys are putting in are being put in brand new roles. Walker and Washington did so much for this team a year ago. So, 
I would say be patient. Ohio State, I don't think, is a top 25 team. They may be when it's all said and done, but they're just not right now. They're, they're, they're definitely going to get better, but Ohio State, let's face it, they're, they're probably ranked a little too high preseason. And then looking at Maryland, Maryland's a team that brought in uh, Cutis Wahab from Georgetown, gave them a big, a true big man in the post, and then um, Fats Russell was also a big addition as well. But Maryland has really struggled shooting the ball. And when I watch them, it, you could just see that they've been settling for way too much, especially the fact like they're not shooting it well, and then they're still sh- settling for jump shots. Like they have Wahab in the post, and especially against George Washington, there was a there was a lot of times where they'd put Wahab in ball screens, and the guard coming off the screen just would miss an open Wahab on the roll. And with with his size, like his he's going to get easy buckets. You just throw him the ball, he's going to get it, and he'll go dunk it or lay it in. They they need to get they need to get an inside game with him because Maryland offensively, theoretically, could be very good with the fact they can go four out around one. Dante Scott's, you know, a mismatch nightmare with, uh, with his size and his ability to shoot it from the outside. So you would think Maryland could be a pretty good offensive team when it's all said and done, but they need to get Wahab more active. And also, you know, focus on driving the basketball, getting the ball inside rather than just settling for jump shots. I would say I am more worried about Ohio State than Maryland. I wasn't overly high on Maryland to begin with. I had them actually just outside my top 25. But I do think Ohio State Ohio State fans, you guys should probably be a little bit more worried than Maryland fans should be. With that being said, that'll be the conclusion of this College Hoops Mania podcast episode. Again, I'm super excited to be back with you guys. It's really been a while, and I've missed doing it, so I'm excited to be back on the podcast, back on the podcast grind. Like I said earlier, would really appreciate a subscribe and rating slash review if you have time or uh, if you enjoy my podcast. I'd really appreciate that. Again, I'm on Instagram at collegehoops.mania, so you can find me there and, and follow my activity and, and analysis throughout the week. I really appreciate the support and you guys listening. I'll be back with you guys next week. See ya.